0: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, before we start, I just want to apologize, especially if you've been watching along with us. Our our choice of uh, film, and I use that term very loosely uh, this week, uh, is offensive on multiple levels. It's offensive to comic books, it's offensive to movies, it's offensive to women. It's just all around offensive, and so I would like to apologize in advance Uh, both for my actions and bringing this film back into your consciousness. And I'd like to apologize for everything Sam Raimi and Sony Pictures executed in 2007 when they allowed this movie to come out. (laughs) Thank you so much, and we hope you'll stick around for the rest of the show. All right, welcome to our show. Uh, now that we have our apologies out of the way, uh, we can get right into this episode proper where we say, hey, this week we enjoyed some things that weren't Spider-Man 3. And Spider-Man 3, we enjoyed the fact that it's over with. Um, I'm going to say right now, there are there are things in life that cause me to reevaluate everything that... Uh, There are are moments where you have a crummy day at work and you reevaluate, do I want to work here? There are are days where you have a fight with your spouse and you're like, hey, are we on the right path? And then there are things in life that make you question everything. Like, is there a God? And Spider-Man 3 was one of those rare (laughs) moments for me this past week where I watched this movie and I went, I don't know why anything exists. (laughs) The fact that this exists is, is just awful and, and abysmal to me. Um, and we watched the quote unquote better version of this movie (laughs) and it was still bad. Um, just a bad movie. And so, uh, I'll tell you what, this week, guys, we're going to give you a little bit of a shorter episode, at least I hope it's a shorter episode, (laughs) um, because I don't want to touch any of the good things we've experienced this week with this badness. Um, There's lots of wonderful content on all your streaming services at your local library, uh, or just listening to your friend mess around as they're playing with their new music software. Um, this movie isn't one of them. And so if you're trying to watch along with us, I'd encourage you not to for this particular movie. Um, Unless you just really want to. If you really, really want to. Uh, there There is some good stuff in this movie, and we'll talk about it. But it is far outweighed by... We'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so... The... A little bit of history for anyone uh, on this movie. Uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1 and 2 came out in 2002 and 2004, respectively. Um, Both were critically and commercially lauded. Everyone um, enjoyed, at the time, everything that Sam Raimi had done with the characters and bringing that world to life. And we admitted last week that in Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi very much improved on most of the technique uh, from Spider-Man 1 going into Spider-Man 2. Making a better movie, a more cohesive story, all of that. We also noted that there were some weird sidesteps that he takes in that movie uh, that are just kind of off-putting. Uh, musical interludes, silliness, that it's it's somehow a lower low than, than some of the lows in the original Spider-Man, but it, it was... It was still overall a really good product, a really fun product. Which brings us to this week. Um, as I've noted the past few weeks, uh, concurrently uh, with our podcast coming out, uh, The Kind of Funny Podcasts are re-reviewing this, all the Spider-Man movies as well, and they actually have some industry insiders who are uh, coming in and speaking at the same time and something that was brought up during their review this past week of Spider-Man 2 is that the writing's on the wall of how bad Spider-Man 3 is going to be because there are things in Spider-Man 2 that should be red flags. The fact that uh, Tobey Maguire is already kind of being a butt behind the scenes, uh, demanding more money and uh, and being kind of a diva um the the fact that uh kirsten dunst's character mary jane watson is receiving really nothing to do through two movies um the fact that uh the relationship between the director sam raimi and the composer danny elfman falls apart uh during the making of this movie to the point where Danny Elfman says he doesn't know if he wants to even make movie soundtracks anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, All of this is happening simultaneous. Behind the scenes, you have all this stuff falling apart while the movie is such a colossal success. So what that does is, out in front for the audience, the audience has such high expectations now. The movies are getting better. From our point of view, the movies are getting better. And the only thing that's going to possibly happen now is we're going to get the best Spider-Man ever. <laughs> all right. Now, on top of all of this, behind the scenes, most of the structure that made the first two movies is either gone or has been eroded in in just its cohesiveness and its... Uh, what, what little integrity was there is now gone after the last movie and so this movie comes out and makes the most money, I believe until Spider-Man Homecoming, this is the most money a Spider-Man movie made ever um, it it was financial success yeah. it was blasted by critics and audiences for its quality. Everyone wanted to see this. They wanted to see the grand payoff after Spider-Man oh, yeah. 2. And financially for Sony, it paid off. However, it also kind of dug the franchise a, a grave. Uh, effectively. Yeah. So for me, uh, I've seen every every theatrical film with spider-man's name in the title in theaters yeah um and uh the only theatrical film that doesn't have his name in the title that i haven't seen in theaters was captain america civil war uh i had about a year there where i was just kind of fed up with comic movies and i wanted to take a year off and uh so I, I adore the character Spider-Man I, I was sitting there uh, growing up uh, the cartoon of Spider-Man the alien costume saga is a three episode arc is one of my favorite arcs of the cartoon and when I heard they were doing it in live action and I'd enjoyed Spider-Man 1 and 2 I'd really enjoyed Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 it was pretty good Spider-Man 3 comes along and we went and saw it, um, either right before or right after we got married. Okay. And I remember walking out and just kind of shaking my head and and feeling disappointed. Um, disappointed for a number of reasons, but the I think the biggest reason is it felt like they took all, all of what was good in the first two movies and they kind of threw it in the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I just left just kind of feeling hollow. And and as I watched the movie this time, there is a ton of promise in this movie. Even at the beginning of this movie, there is a ton of promise. And it gets diluted. It gets, um, it, it somehow undermines itself at every turn. Every time they they bring up an interesting conflict, they immediately undermine it and completely they shoot themselves in the foot so many times in this movie it's it's an unforced error they even working with the limited resources they had there is a ton of promise in this movie and it just never lives up to it and so uh you have anything to say big picture before we get into the movie proper other than the fact that you found it so completely forgettable that you didn't remember yeah. anything about it except for the fact that Sandman was in it? Yeah. That's about it. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and, and get us into the movie proper. Um, so the movie starts, and right off the bat, something that kind of nags at the back of my mind, having watched the previous two Spider-Man movies back-to-back, is that... All of the conflict and tension that's been built up the past few movies of Spider-Man versus Peter Parker, that interesting internal conflict, it's gone. Uh, hey, life's great. It's good to be Spider-Man. And immediately, it's not on the surface... I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Immediately, all of the conflict, all of the interesting... Dynamic with Peter himself and figuring out who Spider-Man is is gone, and Mary Jane is again in this movie relegated to being a she's a plot device. She never has any real agency of her own, and and we'll talk about that a little bit more as as the plot goes on, but beginning of the movie everything's great for spider-man he's watching a video of himself on the jumbotron he's standing next to kids as peter parker he's like hey it circles back we can watch it again and they're like no that's all right and and my big problem through this whole movie is that peter parker is a jerk through this whole movie at no point is he a good guy yeah and that's a problem if you can't root for the protagonist or even be on his side and understand why he's doing what he's doing, that's a problem. Yeah. So, Peter... Peter is, is having a grand old time. He's actually making it to classes and still being bullied by 30-year-old jocks who are in this <laughs> advanced physics course but shooting spitwads at him. And... Uh, and then he goes. He sees his he sees his girlfriend Mary Jane at uh, at her performance. Where's it's, it's apparently a musical, like 1950s style. <laughs> and and he's being and, so creepy through it too. Well, uh, Tobey Maguire, old lemur eyes himself can't help it. <laughs> um, but so. In the beginning performance he's like that's my girlfriend and you can almost hear hear everyone in the rows around him just go shut up no she's not and if she if she is god help her i hope she gets out okay yeah and and so right at the beginning there's an interesting dynamic the musical's going on and it pans up and we're looking at a very ominous uh harry osborne uh, staring on just, you know, after the last movie, he's wanting revenge. Awesome. Great. We've got a setup for some conflict. Finally. And so, after this, we go out. Harry is juicing. He's he's getting all the steroids in him with the goblin serum. And uh, we pan over to Peter and MJ. They're up in a spidey hammock, making out under the stars. Meanwhile, a meteor crashes a few feet from them and they don't notice uh, (laughs) a a meteorite that is carrying one of the antagonists of this film. So, uh, the black goo uh, gets on Peter's scooter. He rides away. Still riding this awful scooter with the dorkiest helmet anywhere. Um, Goes and visits his Aunt May at 2 15 in the morning to say hey i'm gonna propose to mj and she doesn't go peter it's 2 15 in the morning are you asking something no i'm just telling you go away it's 2 15 in the morning i mean instead she makes tea yeah she makes tea and then she tells him this story about you better make sure you're ready you better make sure you're ready. Here's my wedding ring. I guess you're ready, but you better make sure you're ready. Yeah. And, uh, and so Peter goes away from this interaction and is ambushed by Harry as the goblin. And here is where I have to give some props to this movie. The design of all of Harry's weapons and the fight scenes between him and Peter actually really well designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... They fight, uh, eventually Peter uh, pulls a line across and like snags Harry to where he falls and hits his head a lot on the way down. And it's the first time in any of these movies there's any sort of real consequence when someone is hit. In the head? Yeah, and I Peter mean, how does... How many times has Peter fallen through the first two movies where he hit his head like that? Oh, absolutely. I'm like, okay. So, so... Peter does CPR on Harry, sends him to the hospital. At the hospital, first of all, no one notices anything weird with his biology uh, when they're running tests on him, uh, except for the fact that now he has very convenient plot amnesia. Yeah. And so, Peter's like, well, that took care of itself. I guess everything's okay now. And, a- again... The, the movie creates conflict only to take it away. Only to bring it back later, only to take it away. Only to bring it back later, only to take it away. And the way the whole Harry Osborn dynamic works in this movie is like an entire season. Not an episode or two. An entire season of a soap opera. And not a good soap opera. A really badly written soap opera. <laughs> So Harry's arc over the course of this movie is, I'm angry at Peter. I'm going to kill him for killing my dad. Goes, tries to kill Peter. Gets hit in the head, gets amnesia. Runs around like a moron who's approximately five years old intellectually, even though he only met Peter right before the events of Spider-Man 1. Yeah, but then they treat him like they've been BFFs they, they talk. In this movie, like they have been best friends forever. Yeah. And at no point in this movie or the previous two had they ever acted like friends. Had they done anything as friends? Here is what Harry and Peter's relationship is. Oh, I know I'm kind of a reject here, but thank God that you're around, Peter. So I'm not the lowest, the lowest thing on the totem pole. Next movie. We were roommates for a bit, but you take pictures of the guy who killed my dad. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're Spider-Man? Harry's arc in this movie. I'm going to kill Peter. Gets amnesia. I'm a moron! (laughs) Gets turned down by MJ after kind of thinking that she's cute. Honest mistake, but okay. Gets drunk, remembers that he's the Green Goblin. Oh, Oh, I'm going to get bad revenge now. Goes, manipulates Peter and MJ. Peter becomes a super dick, uh, Peter, and goes and assaults Harry. Harry gets wounded. Harry mopes in a closet. Peter comes and gets him from moping in the closet. They go and fight like their best friends again. Only for him to die. That's Harry's arc in this movie. Yeah. There is no... There is no earned stakes. There's no earned relationship. Nothing. Anyhow, Peter walks away from Harry's now just amnesiac butt in the hospital and goes and decides, well, I guess this is the... This is the time for me to propose to MJ. Meanwhile, MJ has been fired because she's a bad singer. And I've got to be honest, compared to the girl that they bring in to replace her, yeah, she is. (laughs) On her own, with no other context, she's good. Bring in anyone else in New York City who is a starving actress, yeah, she's kind of bad. Yeah. She then proceeds to not tell Peter. Peter takes her out to propose to her uh, but before that we have Spider-Man Day uh, Spider-Man Day Peter stands on top of uh, something where the audience if they literally turn their head can see him without his mask on <laughs> flies in and uh, is given the key to the city by Gwen Stacy who he saves in a, in an action scene that's kind of short it's it's whatever I I have to be honest, the action in this movie felt like it had very little stakes in most cases, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, But Peter goes to get the key to the city from this Gwen Stacy, and the audience starts chanting kiss her, and so he goes, all right, lay one on me. And so she pulls down his mask and starts making out with him. Okay. Okay. So, two things. She pulls down his mask. And I'm like, if I'm anyone, I'm like, whoa. The, the whole reason I, we, we don't tell people secret identities is so they don't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, and this person, like, pulling down my mask. Next, his girlfriend's in the audience and he is making out with a strange woman. Next! This is literally the perfect gathering for a villain to attack. Yeah. Anyhow, he goes to propose to MJ, and the girl that he was making out with on the stage is there, getting kind of handsy with him, and MJ storms off with good reason. Yeah. Before he is able to propose. Because he also tells her that she's that she's nobody. She's just his um his lab partner. Yeah. That she so- did not tell jam out so all of this goes on in the meantime uh the best character in this movie yeah I said it, it not a good character but the best character in this movie is introduced in Flint Marco who is the Sandman and he gets his powers through a mishap that's completely avoidable and entirely stupid but he gets really cool sand powers and has honestly some of the biggest mo- moments of gravitas in the whole film uh, where he's struggling with the fact that he's a criminal who wants to save his sick, possibly dying daughter. They never explain what the actual stakes are. Yeah. Um, I kept waiting for them to explain that. That doesn't happen in either version yeah. of the movie. Neither the theatrical or the editor's cut. Um, and so he goes out and decides to start Robin Banks as the Sandman. So, him and him and Spider-Man are fighting off and on. In the meantime, the police all of a sudden realize, oh, maybe we should tell the Parkers a little secret we've been holding on to for two movies. And they reveal that the guy who killed Uncle Ben wasn't the bad guy from the first movie, but was the Sandman. Which I feel like that totally cheapens the first two movies. Oh, so what it does is it makes... Peter, more of a bad guy. Yeah. So, he straight up chased down this arm robber, and then, we're going to call it third degree murder, is yeah. what he did. And it's like the whole thing, like the whole struggle in the first two movies with Peter, when he finally talks to Aunt May, is, it's my fault, because I didn't stop him from robbing this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that gave you stakes. That, that made you kind of feel that pain with him. So, it, it, it does a few things. Again, this movie is constantly undermining itself. Mm-hmm. So, right off the bat, something that is a really easy fix in this is it's a case of mistaken identity and at the end, when they have the second flashback that reveals, in quotes, what actually happened... They could say, no, in all seriousness, it was the other guy that killed Uncle Ben. This guy was just there. Unfortunately, what this movie does is the whole through line is that this guy's an unlucky crook who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, he was an armed criminal who shot Uncle Ben. Yeah. It doesn't matter that... Oh, I didn't mean to. Your finger was on the trigger. Yeah, you did it. And you were, if it wasn't Uncle Ben, you would have shot someone else. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it right here. Best character in the movie, still a bad guy. Anyhow. I did did not like that plot twist at all with that. I'm like, they could have given him other stakes. It's It's okay. I want to move a little bit quicker through this movie. That's fine. We're going to pause for a brief moment of meditation, and when we return, (laughs) we're going to try to wrap this movie up in one segment. Okay, we've had a moment to catch our breath and calm down. So, We are at the point in the movie where Harry gets his memory back because Mary Jane, instead of going and talking to her boyfriend, goes and flirts with her old boyfriend. (laughs) Um, And so now she's awkwardly not talking to her old boyfriend or her current boyfriend, and Harry is now aware of his evil self, and Peter is... Well, Peter's just a jerk. Um, around this time, the black costume, uh, is formed. Peter gets a new costume that ups his power and aggression, uh, and is told right off the front by his professor, Dr. Connors, hey, uh, maybe don't let this touch your skin. Um, it, uh, it looks kind of dangerous. And so what does Peter do? He puts it on. Uh... And throughout the next bit of the movie, the thing I will say that the editor's cut does better than the theatrical is it kind of plays up the angle that the costume almost is an, an analog for drugs. Um, and that, oh, I'm just going to use it for this, to get by in this one situation. And then just keeps going back to it. And it's not until later in the movie when he assaults Mary Jane uh, that he realizes he needs to get rid of it. But in the meantime, we go back to the movie. He starts obsessing once he finds out that his uncle's killer is on the loose tracks down Flint Marco and just as far as anyone is concerned, murders him, Mm -hmm. just beats on him until he is able to flush him with water down a drain. And as far as he is concerned, at that moment, he has killed the Sandman. (laughs) So, uh, he goes and he brags about it to his aunt. He's like, Spider-Man killed that guy. She's like, whoa, Spider-Man kills people now? And he's like, well, he was a bad guy. And she's like, what was Dr. Octopus? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh. And he kind of waffles, especially after Mary Jane, under duress, breaks breaks up with him. And uh, it would be interesting if Sam Raimi fully leaned into the suit, making Peter aggressive. Um, instead, he becomes... He becomes awkward and... Weird, mm-hmm. and aggressive, and it's a—it uh, reminds me of every time I've seen someone who doesn't have power who decides I've got power, and it's—it's this the guy uh, small guy complex. <laughs> when you see a small guy who wants to pick a fight with everyone, mm-hmm. that's the way it plays out, and and not well. But Harry manipulates MJ into breaking up with Peter. Peter becomes a jerk. um, And figures out pretty quick it was Harry. Goes, fights him at his house. And this scene is really weird because there's actually some really good choreography in the fight between uh, Peter and Harry. And the music completely undermines it. And plays it, almost as it. Aren't these hijinks cute that these two are fighting? (laughs) And uh, eventually he throws a pumpkin bomb into Harry's face and it blows up there. And he just walks away. Um, And Peter goes. He uh, smacks MJ at the club she's at after doing a piano solo and dancing way too much. Uh, badly. Yeah. That's such an awkward scene. I've, oh, I lost a plot thread in here. Oh. Also, the... Uh, this is either the D or E plot in this movie. It <laughs> might even be the F plot. Topher Grace, who at one point was considered to play Peter Parker Spider-Man, uh, is Eddie Brock. And... He is roughly the same size as Peter. He is competing with him to be the, the Daily Beagle's new photographer, uh, fakes a photo of Spider-Man and Peter exposes him. So Eddie gets fired and so Eddie and Peter end up at the exact same church on the night that Peter is going to try to get rid of the alien costume. Uh, Peter knows that noise messes with it, so he's using the bell to try to get the costume off. In the meantime, the costume flees. Coats Eddie, makes him Venom, and yeah, we actually get a cool, creepy scene in the birth of Venom uh, that would have been great in Spider-Man four or five yeah. or six. Um, but then we, oh Lord, it gets even more convoluted from here. Peter goes home and takes a shower. Um, and then Eddie Brock is swinging through as Black Suit Spider-Man and just runs into Sandman, who's decided that he's going to kill Spider-Man. And no, no reason other than the fact that Spider-Man tried to kill him. It's just, yep, I'm going to kill Spider-Man. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just unlucky. But I'm going to murder this guy. Yeah. Um, and so, v- Venom, the black suit Spider-Man, goes, hey, let's kill Spider-Man. And Sandman goes, uh, sure. It's Saturday. I'm not doing anything. Let's kill Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, and again, it undermines what the movie has been trying to tell us, that Sandman is is a good guy who does bad things. No. Sandman is a bad guy who does bad things. And Venom is a bad guy who does bad things. And so Venom kidnaps Mary Jane uh, who's still not reconciled with Peter at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's at this point that the movie is at its absolute worst. So Everything that plays out from here on out, this is the third act conflict, plays out on news screens, minute to minute. They know what is happening before the main characters do. And the main characters are there. Yeah. And they're giving you the audience who is there. The whole point of any movie is you are there. They are giving you a play-by-play because you are dumb and you don't understand what's happening. But the fact of the matter is, you don't understand what's happening because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. They know names of everyone involved. Yeah. They, they know that it's MJ up in the car. Like <laughs> the only the only thing missing in their newscast is, well Peter Parker's here to say I mean Spider-Man's here to save the yeah. day. Uh, we get a fight scene, and there's some decent fight scenes. Honestly, they're the weakest in the movie uh, between uh, Venom and Spider-Man and, uh, and the Sandman. And Peter goes and stops by Harry and asks him for help. Why? Why? Harry has been a villain this whole movie in none of the movies, in none of the scenes that we as the audience have seen, had they been friends. Right. Peter goes to him as a friend and says, Hey, will you help me? And, and the fact that it is not a profanity-laced tirade that ends with off. I am so surprised. And so, and then Harry shows up. And it's supposed to be a moment like at the end of Avengers Endgame where the Falcon and the rest of the Avengers arrive to help Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. No! This is... Uh, it's supposed to be Harry to save the day and it just everything that led up to this moment completely undermines this Yeah. and then they fight they I guess take down the Sandman because he's no longer a threat and then Venom is kicking both uh, Harry and Spider-Man's butt and the weird thing is it's not really a team-up so much as Venom straight-up murders Harry and then Peter's able to just take him down with no problem. Right. He does it really cool. He does a process that, honestly, using the construction pipes and using them like a tuning fork to, to beat the symbiote, really cool, awesome moment, would work in literally any other superhero movie. Yeah. Not this one. And they kill Venom. Eddie, they try to save Eddie. Eddie sacrifices himself to be with the costume. Why? We don't know. Because the movie never took the time to explain any sort of real attachment. And we give our farewells to Peter from MJ, or to Harry from Peter and MJ. And... Peter is just weeping profusely. Harder than he cried over Uncle Ben. <laughs> Ugly crying. I mean, it's bad. And then we go to the next day where MJ is singing at the jazz bar. And Peter goes in and she stops singing and no one says anything. She is the main act. Nobody, singing in this place. Nobody even play. notices that she stops no one pays attention and that's the end of this movie and the end of this part of the spider-man franchise and guys i want to tell you i didn't think i could be as angry and upset as i was when i left the theater the first time even with low expectations this movie hurts to watch (laughs) fun fact willem defoe is in that last scene uh not as the green goblin he's just there i didn't Uh, see him uh this the editor's cut they probably cut him out Ah. um so guys this movie is bad like um sam raimi because this movie made money sam raimi was actually on the books to make a spider-man four I know a lot of people would have loved to have seen what he would have done. Guys, I'm really glad he didn't get to. Yeah. Um, and, and let I will tell you why, from my point of view, I, I think it's a good thing. I think Sam Raimi said everything he had to say for the character in Spider-Man's 1 and 2. Yeah. And in Spider-Man 3, you can tell that what Sam Raimi wanted to tell if he was going to do a Spider-Man 3 was a Sandman story and a Harry story. And if you make the story about the two of them, and maybe you introduce the black suit, maybe you introduce it. I think you have an interesting story. If it was told well. Yeah. But even in this editor's cut, which trimmed a lot of the fat and minimized the worst parts of Spider-Man 3, it is still so convoluted and bad that I just, I cannot justify watching this. To anyone outside of maybe you're a completionist. I I would say if you're interested in this movie, watch the trailer. Enjoy what's good about the trailer. And then watch the next movie in the Spider-Man franchise. With that said, we are done with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I enjoyed Spider-Man 1 and 2 quite a lot. This one was rough and I'm glad to have it in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Um, We're going to take a break. We're going to watch Ghostbusters 1 and 2. um, And probably Afterlife, we're going to do The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 after that. I'm looking forward to The Amazing Spider-Man, both of them, um, because it's going to be a fresh take. We're going to take a couple week break just to kind of separate those and lead into Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, Next week, uh, Betsy and I are seeing Eternals. We'll probably be able to tell you a little bit about that on the podcast. But, guys, if you sat through this movie or through this podcast, thank you. We appreciate your patience. Um, We'll be back next week with 1984's Ghostbusters. Bye.